0: Well, at this age it is, anyway. <laughs> I know exactly what you're thinking. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Yeah. beautiful day. I guess 52 out there is what it says on the thermometer. All right, enough of the funny stuff. Uh, by the way, just before, well, I guess the lights are already down, so this will even help you a little bit. Just turn around and welcome somebody that you didn't come with today. Just say, glad you're here. Welcome. and I started off in the nursery together, and I tell everybody that my confession is we slept together before we were ever married, <laughs> or ever even met each other. So we have fun with uh, talking about that, because people say, well, when did you meet? In college? No. In high school? No. Grade school? No. No. Kindergarten, no. Before that, it was a colossal week. I'll tell you, the world's never been the same. Thank you very much. That was beautiful singing. I want, I want to preach if you just let me. You don't know when a preacher's got it in his heart. He, he just can't hold it in very much longer. You know, there's a fire burning here. Oh, dear. We're glad you're here today. We're glad that we can get together and uh, open the Word and uh, learn some things, and I hope we will. I, w- I want to deal with a subject today that um, has, been, has been on my mind for a while, and it kind of relates to two or three other messages that I've, <clears throat> that I've delivered lately, and it's simply entitled When You Run Away <clears throat> from the Lord, and if you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Jonah. I'm going to give you a few minutes because you probably didn't do your daily devotional this morning from the book of Jonah. And uh, once you get into the prophets, especially those major prophets, uh, uh, after you get to Ezekiel, you can start slowing down, and uh, Ezekiel and Daniel, and you'll find Jonah tucked away in there a few books over. I'm going to be spending a little time, perhaps even beyond just today's message looking through this great book, and while you're turning there or trying to figure out if it really is in your Bible, let me just start by saying that I believe that God is at work in the world today. I believe that God is moving. Uh, the, the, The faster things seem to be accelerating on the world stage, the more I believe that God's at work. The more I look at everyday occurrences and the latest headlines and tomorrow's news and stay in tune with the Word of God, especially what God says about these last days, the more I believe that God is really at work. And I believe that we're in a place where God is, gonna, is starting to prepare His people for something, I could stand here for hours and ex- try to explain to you what I think that something is, but I think at the end of it, we'd all conclude well, we don't really know what that something is, but there is something happening, and God's in control. And don't ever lose sight of that fact. You can read the news articles, you can watch the news shows, you can listen to the latest pundits and the politicians and all the rest of it, but just keep in mind, He is in control. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And he's never lost control, not for one millisecond. He's been in control from the start. He will always be in control, and that's the God we serve. He's preparing his people for something, but the people need to be in a place where they can be used. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the the writer says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. So I believe that God's preparing his people. And I believe that he's making a distinction. I believe that God is drawing a line in the sand right now in in the annal of human history. So we're going to go back in history and a long ways back And we're going to look at one of the prophets that you may have heard, well, this is a minor prophet. I don't believe in major and minor prophets. If they're a prophet of the Lord, they had a message, they had a purpose, and uh, they're all major as far as I'm concerned. But most of us probably are somewhat familiar with the story of Jonah. How many here in the room at least have an inkling of who Jonah was or kind of why he's famous or anybody? Okay. Oh, good. Okay. So you've heard of Jonah, right? How many have never heard of Jonah? Okay, yeah, and uh, we've heard all the jokes, like how Jonah was down in the mouth, and uh, (laughs) okay, okay, and um, all all these other things. But um, kids love the story of Jonah. But as we get older, sometimes these great Bible stories seem to lose their their awe factor. I don't know why. It seems like adults read through it, and they've read it before, and they've heard it, and they think they really believe it, but they're not sure, and they just kind of sum it up, and they say, okay, a guy runs from God, gets swallowed by a big fish, gets puked out, then goes and preaches in Nineveh, and the people repent. End of story. Well, that's quite a story in itself. But I want to tell you, there is a whole lot more to it than that. Just one little tidbit of background. Jonah was a Hebrew prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel around the 8th century BC. And that's important because that's 800 years even before Christ. I remember a number of years ago that a group of secular scientists came out pretty strongly claiming that since the Bible says Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, that this story among others in the Bible, could not possibly be credible since no fish could do this. But then some years later, someone actually got swallowed whole by a whale shark and lived to tell about it. And in case you didn't know it, a whale shark is a fish. It's not a whale. Whales are mammals. And, and I got thinking of this the other day, but the people in eight B.C. didn't know, uh, in the 8th century, didn't know that um, the difference, I don't think, between fish and mammals. I I would doubt that very strongly. But anyway, even if it wasn't a whale shark that swallowed Jonah, I believe that this is a true historical event. And it seems sad that I have to say that at the outset, and just kind of, that's my disclaimer. But I want to tell you, I believe this story with every fiber of my being. I I don't have any problem believing it. And as I said in an earlier message, uh, if it's a miracle, so be it. I'll take that. And uh, if you don't believe it, that's fine too because miracles are not for those who don't believe them. Miracles are for those who believe in miracles. Amen? Very good. Wonderful support here this morning. Now, secular scientists claimed that this couldn't happen I don't really care what secular scientists said or what they're saying today about this or anything else that might be in the Bible or that we ascribe to. I'll tell you why. Because when you come over to the book of Matthew in chapter 12, we read these words, starting at verse 40. For as Jonah, and by the way, if you have a red-letter Bible, this is Jesus speaking. For as Jonah was three days and three nights, where? Where? In the belly of a huge fish. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up. The men of Nineveh. This is interesting. Jesus knows the history here. They will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Someone greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn the generation. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something, someone, greater than Solomon is here. So here's how I sum this up. If Jesus speaks of this event, the event of Jonah and the big fish, as a historical fact, I don't know about you, I don't know where you stand but I'm going to stick with Jesus. I'm staying with his account. I'm staying with the fact that he knows that of which he speaks. Now, as we go through the book of Jonah, I want everyone to understand that Jonah's story, and this is worth notating, even though I didn't get it on the screen for you. So if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down, because it'll kind of be the lead in, as I will call it, the thesis, if you will, of this, of this message. Jonah's story is our story. Let's say that together. Jonah's story is our story. We're all going to find some involvement in this story. Now, not necessarily the fish part. You just breathe a sigh of relief, right? But I think that if we honestly look, we're going to see that we all have something in common With Jonah, and that is that at some point in our lives, at one time or another, we have run away from God. Either we have run, or we are running, or God forbid, we will run. Maybe as a teenager, Maybe for you it was as a young adult, or maybe now that you're a little older, even now in your life. But here's the great truth I've learned from Jonah. You can run from God, but you can't outrun him. The Bible says there's nowhere, anywhere, that he can't reach you. And we're going to see a little bit more of that in the testimony of Jonah as we move along. And when I talk about running from God, I'm not necessarily talking about physically running like Jonah does here, because he's physically getting out of town. But I'm talking about a person who maybe when they were a kid, maybe you went to church because you had to, (coughs) you were forced to be part of it. But then once maybe you graduated high school or college or left home or whatever the case might be, started your own own life independently, uh, you left the church. And maybe you left all the notions of God that you've been taught behind. And many people do that. Maybe the person who runs from God in a specific way, you know, just wants to do something to rebel or wants to do something they've always wanted to do. So they just go, they just say, I'm going to go do it. And and that person, in, in essence, says, well, God's word says that I shouldn't, you fill in the blank, steal or... Commit murder or commit adultery or whatever, you fill in the blank. And they don't do those things, maybe the stealing or the murder or the committing of adultery, but maybe they have that one little area. And it seems little to them, it's still large in the eyes of God. It might be, it could be coveting, it could be pride, it could be lust. You know, that, that that secret, that one secret sin, and it's really a secret, because nobody really knows. Just you and God. Well, so much for the secret, right? Yeah. I don't know why we call them secret sins. There's no such thing as a secret, because God knows everything. So if he knows everything, and then you come upon it, two people know it. There goes the secret. And they say, well, God, you can have everything in my life. If you demand everything in my life and you expect everything of me and you want this and you want that and you don't want me here and you want me over here and you want to just have everything that belongs to me, you can have it, all of it. Oh, 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 oh but not that, but not that one, not that one little piece. I, 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 I'll be holding on to that. You know, that's the person who, if he or she were honest, would probably start singing the old chorus we used to sing I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, but not to there and not to there. And I meet Christians and interact with Christians and talk with Christians and I've had a few years experience interfacing and you know what I find out? Is there a whole lot of people that sing that song but they don't sing it correctly because they don't sing it the way I just did. But they're saying with their lives, in essence, to God you can have everything. Remember, I've been at the altar four times in the last two months. I've given it over. I've 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 surrendered it. I, I I've just, but I keep coming back to it. See, you can have everything, God. Like I'm talking every what well, I'm talking like over ninety nine percent, God. But you didn't really mean one hundred percent, did you? There might be somebody here today that I'm talking to and. And 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 maybe it isn't any of these things that maybe you're 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 financially running from God. You you know God would not approve of how you spend your money, but by golly, that's your money. You worked hard for that. You I love this one. Earned it. It's mine. I love I love the question God put. God put to the rich man who was trying to decide about what what he was going to do with his eternal soul. And Jesus said, well, if today your soul is required of you, who's are these things going to be? You're not going to need them tomorrow if you're gone today. No, no, that's mine. That's my money. It's my time. These are my abilities. This is my interest. This And we get so possessive. We think that we we really own something. That we really have something that's of our own doing, our own making, our own creation. And we hang on to things. When we do, we're basically running. And we all run for the same reason. Everybody here, everybody that I'm talking to, myself included, every time we run... This is one of those aspects where we're all the same. We run because we believe that if we don't, somehow we're going to miss out on something. Somehow we're not going to get what somebody else has. And we're not going to be where we had hoped to be. Or we're not going to achieve what we set out to achieve. And... Uh, You see, if I do this and this and this and this and I give up this and this and this for God, I'm going to miss out on something. And God's going to hold back on me. And I'm not going to get what I rightly deserve. And that's nothing new. Listen, that's as old as mankind. That is exactly, exactly, precisely what Adam and Eve fell for in the garden. They were fooled into believing that God was actually giving them all of this paradise, and yet God was holding the best back from them. They would never see what God's best really was. And they were fooled into believing that. And so God was holding back something from them, and they decided, ah, they've got to do something on their own to counteract that. And you know, we're exactly the same, actually, being blood relatives of Adam and Eve. Why wouldn't we be? And that should cause us to ask some questions like, well, what is this God that we serve really like? And why is it that I value this thing more than I value serving God? Like this thing that I cling to or these things that I hold on to, it seems like I value them even more than I value my relationship with God. But truly, we do that, and we play these games in our minds, and we think that God is, for some strange reason, he's holding something back from us. He's never really come forth and given us his best. Or if we give ourselves fully to him and to his cause, we're going to miss out. And, And you know, when you think of this and really reason it through to its logical conclusion, This is the conclusion, like, does this world have anything to offer us that compares to what awaits us in God's glory? And you know the obvious answer to that. And yet, to these things, these temporal things, these things of earth, we just hold on and hold on and hold on and hold on, and we just won't release our grasp. Now, some people are running because they're confused. They've confused God. And um, let me just say this, it's kind of a touchy point, but I think it needs to be said in the church. Uh, Some people are running, they've confused God with the people who claim to know God. Hear me, hear me on this. I actually know a number of folks right here in our area who are exactly like this. And they've told me over and over, that might be their excuse for just staying away, but you know what, in many cases it's valid. They've told me they don't want anything to do with church, they don't want to come to church services, they don't want to be around certain people because they don't like what happens behind the scenes in most churches or in the churches they've been in and you know the behind the scenes people will talk about one another and they'll put one another down on anywhere from monday to saturday but on sunday they're all smiles this is the politics of the church and there's politics in most churches most not all you know come be on my team no come be on my team no oh, come be on my team oh do it my way no so they people who are looking at this from the outside see this disunity I'm just thankful we don't have to address this in the way that you would have to in a lot of pulpits, where you're trying to straighten it out and clean it up. And we don't do that here at Faith Community. We don't need to. Thank God for that. But these people looking in from the outside at a lot of churches see the backbiting, and they see the finger pointing. But on Sunday, they see them all taking communion together, smiling and shaking hands. Oh, and it's a sad story, actually, because what has happened is, and I've tried with some of these people to, to just kind of back them up a bit and, and you know clear the road and, and give them a new perspective. Boy, it's tough. I tell you, it really, really is tough. And I have as much burden, almost as much burden for those kind of people as I do for people who've never heard the gospel, never really yeah, interacted in a church and never really saw any of this stuff. But it's a sad story because what has happened is a lot of people have mistaken the actions of people who claim to know God for the actions of God himself. And they decided best to just run away from it. And so they've been running from God ever since. And what we as Christians need to realize is there is a world outside of these walls that's watching us constantly, and that Jesus said that that world will know that we are His disciples by our love and our respect for one another. That was the one telltale characteristic. So in the time we have this morning, I want, I want to, what I want to do is show you some things from the text, and I'm going to get into reading it, that describes everyone who runs from God. There are three things, at least, I think there are more, but there are three things that I've pinpointed that we all have in common when we decide to run. And uh, if you're not taking it, it might be worth just just jotting, jotting that down. So in Jonah chapter 1, if you have your Bible, uh I'm going to begin to read at uh, verse 1. And I want to read the first three verses. And if you'd like to read along, feel free to do that. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Amittai. Go to the great city. Now, where is he supposed to go? This is the word of the Lord coming to the prophet. Where is he supposed to go? The great city of Nineveh. And preach against it. Because the wickedness has come up before me. Listen, God has noticed that this city has just fallen into great wickedness and lack of anything spiritual. And He says, Jonah, you're the man. Go to Nineveh and preach and give them the word. But what are the next four words? But Jonah. Now, does it seem like you're really reading the Bible when you read this story? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatea. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach, because their wickedness has come up before me. Not even a pause, not even a, an interjectory verse here. Next verse. But Jonah ran away. He ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Where? He heard Spain was a nice country. He'd been getting a lot of Facebook messages on where to take his next vacation. So he thought Tarshish might be a great place. So he went to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he was serious about getting out of town, wasn't he? He went aboard, and he sailed for Tarsus. Why? Why? To flee from the Lord. So... So Jonah is close to Joppa, and God tells him, go to Nineveh. And instead, he gets on a ship that's headed to Tarshish. And by the way, today, uh, that city, uh, Joppa, is called Jaffa. It's in Israel. Uh, Nineveh is in uh, present-day Iraq. And Tarshish was in Spain. I don't have the map up in front of you. I could have done that, but you can probably, if you have any idea of the region there, get an idea of where he's going. Uh, Let me just say this. God said, go to Nineveh. He was near Joppa. He got on a ship headed for Tarshish. Can I just make this bold statement? Uh, Jonah, you're going the wrong way. How many times I wanted to holler that same warning to people I saw heading in the wrong direction? Jonah, you're going the wrong way. Now, here's the first thing that's true when you run from God. You end up running to the strangest of places. And I'm going to just add... A little parenthesis there. And many times you end up running to the strangest of people or with the strangest of people. At the time, give you a little background, Tarsus was a Phoenician, it was a port city. And the Phoenicians were, were a great seafaring people. They were militaristic, they were materialistic, and they were outside of the covenant of God. They had no interest whatsoever not even any inkling of spirituality. So Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because it's a wicked place. The people there are wicked. So instead, which would make you wonder if he's a prophet of the Lord, is not this where the preacher wants to be? Wouldn't you want to be where the people are wicked so that the word of the Lord can be delivered and he can see great revival? Instead of that, he goes to Tarshish where, oh, Oh, he's not going to go to Nineveh, the great seaport. He's going to go to Tarshish, because in Nineveh, the people are wicked. So he's going to go to Tarshish, where the people are wicked. And I'm glad you 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 know you kind of get a little, see a little humor in that, because um, it's always good to look at ourselves and see the humor in some of the things we do because of some of the things we think, because of some of the things that are ingrained in us. But, but how oftentimes do we find people who do the very same thing? Well, I'm not going to go there because I don't like those people, so I'll go over here and there's some more people I, don't, I can't like or I won't like or whatever. But I'm going to go to them. Doesn't make a lot of sense, right? That's because running from God doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's what happens. You run away from the Lord. You end up in bad places. Let me speak to you single people who are here, and I don't care what age you are if you're single. I want to just say something real quickly. When you run away from the Lord, if you are running from God, and if you're in that place today, or you may get into that place, do not, just remember Pastor Bob said, do not get into any kind of relationship. Because if you're running from God you're not going to make wise decisions. I didn't say you might not. I'm saying you will not. And I've seen it happen. You know, young men and young women who think they're rebelling against their parents, and now I can do my own thing now, and I'm big, and I'm, I'm old enough, and I can. Yeah, they're actually rebelling against the ordinances of God. And they run off to Mr. Wright Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and in a year, Miss Wright, and, and in a year or two years or whatever, their life is in shambles. They're heading for shipwreck. See, if you're running from God, you're not going to make wise decisions, and you'll end up in the strangest of places, and many times with the strangest of people. Which leads me to another principle uh, about running away from the Lord. Things we all have in common when we decide to make that run is your life will eventually start unraveling. And if you don't catch it, it will even self-destruct. Doesn't happen overnight. Very seldom does it ever, at least not, 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 not in most cases. But over a period of times, things will start going from bad to worse. And here's why. Because it goes along with not making wise decisions. When a person runs from God, they're running away from the very source of wisdom and truth. And when you turn your back on wisdom and truth, the option is you begin making some seriously bad decisions. And the crazy thing is we convince ourselves that they're not bad decisions, they're good decisions. And we have all these reasons to rationalize it, and we're convinced we don't think anybody else is, or we don't much care. Because you know why? It's my life. Oh, oh, a little dose of Galatians 2.20 be good for you. It's my life. It's my time. It's my decision. That'll be my friend. This'll be my relationship, and I'll determine the outcome. Oh. See, I've got you half. Believing that we can make a bad decision and talk ourselves into believing it's a good decision. And the crazy thing is, is when we convince ourselves of this, we're basically telling ourselves, well, God wants me to have this, or whatever he wants me to, I love, this is one of my favorites, you know, God wants me to be happy, right, Bob? hmm Well, this makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Happiness is at best temporary. And here we are balancing or trying to happiness and joy. And remember, running from God doesn't necessarily mean, I said it earlier, physically running away. And that's what Jonah's doing. But it can mean doing something that God has said not to do, or it could be not doing something that God has clearly told you to do. And then, of course, we start justifying that behavior. And we find ourselves asking, well, this this started in the Garden of Eden too, because the tempter put this question to Eve. Well, did God really say that? She said, well, we have all of this. It's just unbelievable what he's given us. And we can eat of all of it, do everything here, But we can't eat of that tree, and we can't touch it. God never said anything about touching anything. So when you start adding to what God says, and when you start questioning how God said it, you're in trouble already. And we make that foolish mistake of saying, well, did God really say this? When on these pages, it's pretty clear. It's black and white. And here's the thing. We run from God. We make terrible decisions. And if I could just stop there and say, okay, now let's all bow our heads and we'll get done and we'll go home. But I can't do that. And this is where the Reebok hits the sidewalk. Every bad decision brings not so pleasant consequences. May not be today, may not be this week, may not even be this year. Matter of fact, some of those consequences can haunt you for the rest of your life. And can I just say this? And I know you don't want to hear this either, and we believe in the grace of God covering all. But you know what? Even if you repent of that bad decision, you could still have to bear the marks of those consequences. That's tough stuff. And you say, how can you say that? Because I've studied in depth the life of King David. Study that story. It's a prime example of living with the after effects of bad decisions. The man made some colossal, wonderful, great decisions as head of the kingdom. And as a mighty warrior and as a man who knew what God wanted, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart, but he also made some colossal bad decisions that haunted him to his dying day. And your life will fall apart when you run from God, if you keep running. Let me just try to explain why that happens. And I can understand this from Jonah. Matter of fact, I can understand it a little better, understanding the story of Jonah. Here's the reason. The reason a person's life begins to fall fall apart when they they run away from the Lord is because God has a plan for your life. God has an eternal purpose for you. God didn't just say, all right, I deem that, boom, on such such a day you'll be born, what a red-letter day that'll be, boom, and we'll just plunk you down somewhere on the planet and... Good luck. I hope you make it. Even Jeremiah told us this. He said before, while he was still in his mother's belly, God called him. Another said, before I was even conceived, my, God knew me. And if God knew you, he had a plan for you, or you wouldn't be here. And he has a purpose for you. There was a book written a few years ago. One or two of you probably saw it. It's called Purpose Driven Life. And I say that facetiously because we've been reading Rick Warren's books here for years and years and had lots of conferences and debates and talks and wonderful teaching. But you, are, you were born with, you were created for, you're designed by God for a purpose And for a plan I know you say well Bob I've spent 30 years I've spent 40 I've spent 60 years I'm still I don't know and I it just it makes me ache when I see people who are still trying to find the starting line God has a plan for you God has a purpose for you and God had a plan and purpose for Jonah what was the plan and purpose go to Nineveh and preach boy that was simple Boy, that was plain. And when Jonah ran, he wasn't just running from God, he was running from the very plan and purpose that God had ordained for him as his mouthpiece. And he was basically just throwing it all to the wind. And some will say, well, tell me, what's my purpose? And I say, I don't know your purpose. I'm not you. I'm not going to dictate to you what it is or what I think it is. Here's what I suggest you do. Start with what you know. Are you a parent? That's your purpose. Good part of it. Are you a Christian? Part of your purpose is to fulfill the Great Commission and to live a life that's pleasing to God so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five sixteen. Look at the talents God has given you. Look at the abilities God has given you. And by the way, God has given you those talents and you those gifts and you those abilities. And guess what? He didn't give your talents and your gifts and your abilities to me. Some of you, I I tell you, I think I'd crawl a mile over broken glass to get the abilities and the gifts that you have to offer in your life. I'm one of those people, I know I'm always complaining about it, but I think I got cheated somewhere. I think when they are giving out brains, I was standing behind the door and thought they said trains. I don't know. But some of you have got more ability in your pinky than some of us do in our whole body. Because God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. He has a design for you. You are special to him. The old reformers had it right. They put it this way, and I quote, the chief end of man, if you know the creed, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Wow. And that, my friend, is part of your purpose. And you glorify God, how? By what he's created for you and called you to do. Let's pick up the reading. I want to go a little further, and I'm going to start at verse 4, because I want to introduce another principle here. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. (laughs) And all the sailors were what? I want you to notice that all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own god, small g, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, how many times are we going to read, but Jonah? You know what I'd like to do if I'd have been there? I'd like to butt it, Jonah. Jonah, you need a B-U-T kicking. (laughs) But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down, Who's worried, huh? And fell into a deep sleep. Yep. captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? (laughs) Get up and call on your God, small g. Maybe he'll take notice of us so we'll not perish. Hey, they're scared. They're scared. This is big time scare. And here's another principle I want to share with you quickly about people who are running away from the Lord. Running people, or people who run from God, always end up hurting those who are closest to them. You see, as a life begins to unravel, everybody around that life starts being affected. Boy, do we see that with these, remember now, sailors, experienced men of the sea, who are with Jonah. They had no idea what was about to happen to them. And as far as they knew, they were taking a passenger along with their cargo, going to the city of Tarshish, et cetera, et cetera. Now, remember, Tarshish was a port city, and these guys are sea merchants, and they're taking their cargo, they're going to sell it, or they're going to trade it, you know, whatever, it's their livelihood. It's how they make their living. But all of a sudden, the storm hits them, and they end up, Throwing all their cargo overboard, as we'll see. And there goes their paycheck. Tell me they weren't affected by Jonah running from God. Tell me this didn't affect the people closest to Jonah on that particular day. Huh? Parents, you listen to me real carefully. I'm not mad at you. That's why you need to listen to me real carefully so I don't get mad at you. If we run from God, it is going to affect our families. Period. And period means there's no room for debating that. Teenagers, listen. You want to know why mom and dad overreact when you want to hang out with certain people or go certain places or date certain people or whatever? It's because they understand if a certain person isn't living for God and following God, you could very easily get hurt. And believe it or not, they love you enough that they don't want to see you get hurt. I know that's a mind-staggering idea, but... See, they love you than Mr. Smooth Operator does. And people who are running from God injure those around them. Now I'm going to pick it up at verse 7 because I've mentioned some things that we haven't read yet, but things you're probably familiar with. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots, find out who's responsible for this calamity. We've got to blame it on somebody. Something's happened here. See, they were more aware and in tune and really plugged in to what was going on, than Jonah ever was in this whole thing. So they cast lots. I'd like to see how they did this. I think it was stacked, don't you? <laughs> and the lot fell on Jonah. Oh, surprise. <coughs> I, I wish the Bible had said. And it just so happened that the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? <laughs> Where do you? What kind of work do you do? Where do you? I'm a preacher. I don't work. Yeah. 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 How many times over the years have we been asked that question? So here you are, Pastor. So uh, what do you do all week? <laughs> yeah. And so what do you do? Where did you come from? What is your country of origin? From what people are you? These guys are about to die, just about to die. And they want to know a little bit about Jonas. Might be a little late. And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God, capital G, of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So don't sweat it, boys, because he made it all. He'll look after us. This (laughs) terrified them even more, and they said, well, what have you done? You see, they even understood how it worked. That bad decisions equal bad consequences. Duh, Jonah might get it after all. Might. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them. You got to get me out of here. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Can you imagine he said this? Can you imagine he said this? What did he say? What did he say? You can do it. You can read it. What did he say? Pick me up, Pick me up and. Roll me into the sea. And it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault. This great storm has come upon you. I'm taking all the blame. I'm taking the hit for this. This is interesting. They asked the preacher, what should we do? He told them, we got another but Jonah almost coming here. Instead, and this is often forgotten or left out, and people don't don't touch on this, but I want to. What did the men do? They tried to row back to land, but they couldn't because the sea grew even wilder than before. They're getting desperate. Come on. They didn't want to throw this guy just into the sea. And then they cried out, oh, now they're crying out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life, do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, how'd they know he was innocent, for you, L-O-R-D capital, have done as you pleased. I'll come to that in a moment. This is amazing stuff. All that stuff's going on. You got these, let me just, let me just paint the picture again. You've got these rough and tough pagan sea mer- merchants who've just found out that Jonah is the cause of their problems and he even tells them to throw him overboard. This, of course, they, they question. And what do they do? They do their best to row back to dry land. And that didn't work. They prayed. You know, when you run not of options, you can always pray. No, that's the way a lot of, probably 90%, 95% of people live. I've had good Christian people tell me that. Well, I guess there's nothing else I can do now. Just pray. When well, we should have been praying from the first, not from the end. Yeah, so they decided they'd pray. And that word Lord is the Hebrew word for Yahweh. So they're praying to the right one. And they start praying to God and they ask forgiveness. And they said, please, 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 whatever we've done, we will. they're repenting. They're convinced. They're convinced. They understand the fear of the Lord, and, and, and Jonah doesn't. <laughs> he didn't get it. And, and if we could, please, we'll go to verse 15 and just pick it up there for a couple verses. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. You see, you think, well, the miracle here is, you know, we're going to see later Jonah was taken up by the big fish and all the stuff that happened. Listen, we got miracle after miracle after miracle happening here in chapter 1 we got a whole boatload of, of, of rough, tough sea merchants who are, are repenting and basically putting their faith in the power of God. We've got the sea being calmed down by a preacher being thrown overboard. Don't get any ideas. So they're penitent and they're asking for forgiveness and they're praying and they didn't really want to throw Joan overboard. But while these formerly pagan people are repenting and probably converting based on verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. This is repentance, folks. This is I think the next part of the sentence is proof of conversion. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Huh? Go to Nineveh and preach, because that city's wicked and there are going to be a lot of converts. He said, no, I'm going to Tharchus. And on the boat, while he's heading over, the, probably the stern of the boat, heading into the the wild sea, he hasn't spoken a word yet, and these people on the boat are getting converted. This is the most ironic story I've ever read. If all we had was chapter one, it'd be worth the price of admission. Honest. These men. Understand the fear of the Lord. Jonah doesn't get it. He hasn't got a clue. They are penitent. They're asking for forgiveness. Now they're praying. Then they want to throw Jonah over, but they don't really want to. And they try to get back to land. And these tough guys now say, we can't do anything else. And they're repenting. And they're converting based on verse 16. And Jonah, the man of God, this is interesting. This is interesting, humans. Listen, he's still unrepentant. He's still running. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to hold on to this. I gave you everything, God, but this is what. I'm going to hold on to this. This is my own little secret thing. i got to hold on to this. You say, how do you know Jonah was unrepentant? Look at it. He'd rather die than follow God's plan. You say, well, what could he have done? Here's what he could have done. When he says, throw me overboard, you know, he could have said, i gotta re- I got to confess to you guys. You, you're right. I'm the reason. I'm the, I'm the problem. And I'm supposed to be going to Nineveh. If you guys had just dropped me at the next port, I've already paid, but I don't need anything back because you've already lost your pay. But if you just drop me at the next port, I can go to Nineveh from there and everything will be okay. But instead of that, he's saying, oh no, go just go ahead and kill me. Yeah, it reminds me of Elijah. Single-handedly kill eight hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and the next day he's pleading with God hiding in a cave, saying, Please take my life. Please kill me. I'm not worth a plug nickel. Just throw me into the sea. And we look at that in awe, but the reality is it's really not that unusual. I've met people and they're still running. They've got that area in their life that they're unwilling to give up to God. And they're unwilling to repent of it. And it has hooks in them so deeply. It's like the scene, well, I don't know. How many of you ever saw the, uh, the movies, uh, the re- the, like the movie The, the Return of the, ring, uh, of the King in, in The Lord of the Rings? How many of you have seen The Lord of the Rings? How many of you are fans of that? Okay. Well, there's a place in there. Where one of the heroes, so to speak, says, you know, the, his friend is saying, the, you know, give it up and let it go. And we'll get out of this place. And the guy keeps holding on and he says, the ring is mine. The ring is mine. And he won't give up. And if you haven't seen that movie, I recommend it. Not that I watch movies. And if you don't watch a movie, read the book. And if you don't read books, read about it. And you'll find out just as much as if you'd watched the movie. That's how I find out. Here's what I want to say about this. Sin can sink its teeth so deep into you that it's almost like being a part of who you are. Instead of just saying, That's, I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to run. We say, no, I'm going to, I'm, everything's fine, but, but there's just, well, I'm not going to give that to God. I'm not going to bow the knee in this area. I'm not going to recognize his lordship in this area. And I say today, my prayer is God have mercy on those who have such strongholds in their lives. And listen, listen please believe me when I say, I'm not talking about going to church more. I think some people should go to church less and live Christ more. We're doing some kind of external modification program. I'm talking about humbling yourself before the mighty hand of God Almighty and saying, God, you are God. You are the Lord of all. I can't let it go, so I'm going to ask you, please take it. And if you have to take it by force, take it by force. But I'm done running, and I don't want to run from you anymore. I want to start running to you. And if that's you this morning, I've got good news for you. I have got good news for you. You can't outrun God. You say, My life's a wreck. Well, if it's a mess, that very well might be a God ordained storm in your life, trying to get your attention and get you back where you need to be. Not running from God, but running to God. So please stop running. You're never too old to set another goal. You're never too old to dream a new dream, said C.S. Lewis. Even if you fall on your face, you're still moving forward. Huh? Say, I want to get back on track. Yeah, I've been derailed. Let me just tell you this. If you have that desire in your heart, your journey's just starting. Because spending today complaining about yesterday won't make tomorrow any different. Moving forward, getting back on track with our lives doesn't take just a day. It's a whole series of small steps to allow us to break free from our brokenness and our selfishness and our pride and move on. If you don't like where you are, change it. You're not a tree. Change it. Just giving up on your life situation because of one serious set. Some people get a serious setback or something that happens and it just sends them off. And it just, it just, they, they start on the road to ruin by one setback. I got thinking of that the other day. I said, you know, that's like, that's like slashing three tires on your car when one's flat. Can't let one setback ruin you. You can't. Your journey's just starting. Get on it. Stay on it. Now to close, I want to read that last verse in chapter one. By the way, who would like to stay with Jonah? Maybe for a few more weeks, and we just keep walking through, okay? Two, three, four, five, six. Okay, that's a majority. All right. <laughs> That's the way we used to do it in the house. <laughs> it's, it's a vote. It is. Nobody voted. Yeah. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, not to take a bite out of him and not to take his left leg and half his right leg, but to what? Swallow him. He was good stuff, man. That's one bite and a gulp. Down you go. He's heading for Whale University. You're going to learn the lessons of life. Say, do you believe this really happened? I told you, I believe it. It was a three-bedroom furnished apartment down there. Not only is it in the Word of God, but Jesus, 800 years later, made it very clear that he knew the history. By the way, if you know present-day history, as far as they know, the tomb where Jonah was buried was destroyed about two weeks ago in Mosul. Yeah, you guessed it, by ISIS. They're trying to destroy everything that would have any... And the funny part of that, this story is in the Quran. (laughs) But they're trying to destroy everything, every idol, every remembrance, everything that has anything to do with the Bible, Christianity, Judaism, and our history. Little sideline. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish. The Lord always provides, doesn't He? But there's great proof right there. He doesn't always provide the way we think He should. Now, who would have ever thought that? Say, oh, I don't know how Jonah's going to get out of this one. Ma, the Lord. He provided a great fish. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish how long? Three days and three nights. You say, I'm running from God, I'm off track, how do I get back on track? You know, many people want to get back on track with the thing they want to be doing something about, but they've never gotten back on the rails, they just haven't. So let me just give you a couple little things of advice and I'm done. Start where where you first started. And it doesn't matter what area of your life I might be addressing. It could be a marriage. It could be a friendship. It could be a job. It could be some intimate family matter. It could be your finances. I don't know. Whatever's broken. Start back where you first started. And then stop running. Give, G-I-V-E, caps. Give God your problem. Exchange, and you take in its place grace, forgiveness, and peace. And you won't have to be concerned anymore with learning of what happens when you run away from the Lord. Got a Chris Tomlin song I want you to hear. It's part of the message. It's kind of the way to wrap this message, but oh, listen, listen to this song, Come Home Running. Just come now. If you have any decision to make today, you see me before you leave. If maybe just you want to be part of a church family that cares about you and prays for you and loves you, and we're just a bunch of people, and we've all run at one time in our lives. Maybe we've got people here that are running right now, but we want you as much as you need us to be part of this church family. Then make that known today. And if you would, please, please listen and take in this song.